Have you ever had the situation come up where you attempted to do something only to, to see your efforts fall apart? My, my wife told me about an experience she had that way this week. In fact, she called me while I was working on the sermon to tell me about her frustration that she had because of, of the experience that she went through. She had the opportunity to leave work early one day, and she was going to leave about 30 minutes early, and that opportunity came up. She decided to take it. So she heads out from her workplace and heads out to her car, only to arrive at her car without something very important. No keys. Well, she parks in a deck that's detached from the, park, from the, the hospital itself. So the deck is a long ways away. She works on the eighth floor, has to come down from the elevator from the eighth floor, go out through the building, you know, the long building, out across the open lots to the deck that's far away where the, the employees park, only to find her car and no keys. So she turns around to go back to the hospital, leaves the deck, goes back to the hospital, starts walking down towards the elevator to her... I may begin this a little wrong. She'll tell me if I do. Walking towards where the elevator would be, only discover that now she doesn't have her face mask any longer. So she goes to the entrance to grab a face mask. Wouldn't you know that entrance doesn't have a face mask? So she has to walk around to find a unit where she can get a face mask before she goes into the main hospital to take the elevator up to the eighth floor, get her keys, come down, go down the hallways, out the hospital, across the parking lots, up the deck, finally to leave. So much for leaving 30 minutes early. It is now a little bit late, actually, for her to be pulling out by the time she's leaving. I told her, well, the good news, at least you got your step count in for the day. I, I don't think that was much of a comfort, though. I, I'm sure we all have experiences like this, don't we? we? We attempt to do something. We set out with a goal of some kind. We have a mission in mind. We take the actions that, that we believe will help us get to that goal only discover that we miss the goal completely. Our, our efforts, they fail totally, and there we're stuck. I, I mentioned last week that my plan is to take three of the short personal New Testament letters that, that we have and, and look at those before my upcoming trip. Tonight we're going to turn to another one of these, the, the letter that ends up being the, the shortest book of the Bible, the, the short letter of Second John. Second John is a letter that, that deals with efforts that, that can fall apart. What I want us to, to see as we look at it is there is a general principle in play. There's a very specific event that, that's happening here that, that doesn't happen in our day, but there's a principle that's in play. The principle is indiscriminate actions can transform attempts of love into sin. I want you to think about that for a moment. Indiscriminate actions can transform attempts of love into sin. We're setting out to do something good. We're setting out to, to show love. And yet, if we're not careful, we can end up sinning instead. This is a, a short letter, so before we do anything else, let's just read the, the entire letter. The letter of Second John. The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, for the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. 
Now ask you, lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, this is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he is both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching... Do not receive him into your house, and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Though I have many things to to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope that to come to you and speak face to face, so that your joy may be full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. We have this short letter, but before we look at it very much, let's, let me set a bit of the background so that we can understand what's going on. We're, we're in the very early days of the New Testament church, and, and during these early days, Christian leaders, they'd travel from town to town, and, and as they did, Christians would take them into their homes, and they would provide lodging and food while these leaders stayed in the, the town teaching. In that time frame, hotels were not readily available, and, and such that did exist of that nature were rather seedy establishments. They, they, they were unfit places for believers to find housing. So the Christian teachers would look for housing in church members. Plus, you add to that, the, these Christian teachers, I'm sure, were not swimming in cash. There, there was no money to be made on the preaching circuit that day. There was no conference speaking circuit that that preacher was on that, that was his career. These preachers needed the hospitality of the local believers to enable their travel so that they could spread their ministry of the word. Unfortunately, it did not take long for Satan to utilize this hospitality and and try to undercut the gospel through this effort. Satan did so in the form of false teachers, teachers who traveled around in the name of Christ promoting a false teaching. The, the short letter of Second John was prompted by this willing hospitality of, of one lady in Asia. Now, if you have a study Bible, I will just tell you there's a lot of scholars and commentators that believe that the first verse, the word chosen lady, those are code words for a church. And, and, and in that case, her children would be members of the church. That's an idea that has a long history. It's possible, as I said, if you have study Bible, it's probably referenced in your notes. Um, you, you might even believe that yourself. I, I may have taught that at some point as I've taught through this book. I don't remember. Um, but having looked at it more over the years, I think John is writing to an actual lady. He's just not giving her name. He's writing to a real physical lady who was opening up her house. We, we don't know her name, but we can glimpse something of her heart as we look at the contents of this letter. Apparently, this lady is well known for her hospitality. She readily opens her home to these traveling preachers. She and her family also are very dear to the apostle. John knows her children. He knows her sister. He, he knows this family well. Possibly he's even benefited from her hospitality during his travels. What we do know is he knows her and he knows her heart. 
The, the problem was that Satan was using her good, godly Christian instincts against her. False teachers who were corrupting the gospel message, they, they were making use of her generosity and, and staying with her while they caused mayhem in the church. She was failing to realize the significance of her actions. She, w- she was trying to do what was right. She was trying to be hospitable. She was trying to show Christian love, even genuine Christian love, as hospitality is one of those items we looked at in Romans 12. Yet she was damaging the church by allowing these false teachers to promote their views. John writes this short, very gracious, tactful note here to to deal with this problem, this this mistaken understanding uh, of Christian love. His immediate concern really is not the errors of these false teachers. We don't know anything about what the the false teachers are teaching other than it's clear that they they denied the the deity of Christ. But how they wrap that, we we don't know anything about it. His concern is not the error of their teaching. His concern is the support that they're receiving through this lady and, and her misplaced efforts. Remember, indiscriminate actions can transform attempts of love into sin. I want us this evening to understand this letter well so that we can ensure that, that we are not falling into the similar kind of guilt ourselves, that, that we're not falling into indiscriminate actions. There, there's two things I want us to, to notice as we look at this short letter. First, in the first five verses of the letter, we need to see that, that the love of the truth requires love of others. Love of the truth requires love of others. That, that shouldn't be a surprising thing after our 19 weeks in, in Romans chapter 12 looking at genuine love, but love of the truth requires love of others. John, as you probably know, is, is often called the apostle of love. Um, he's called that because often we see an emphasis of the topic of love in his letters. He's the one that gave us Jesus' words in John 13.35 that, that we are to love one another and that that should be the defining mark of, of Christians. We will be known by our love for one another. We will, the world will know that we are Christians, that we're little Christ because we show love to one another. We, we saw that love is involved over and over again with the various tests of genuine love that, that show up in First John. We, we looked at that epistle last year in our morning services, and, and the letter of First John shows here's how you have assurance of salvation time and time again. Love was an element there. In First John 4.20, for example, he even goes so far as saying, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Tangible, displayed acts of love, they're, they're central to John's understanding of what the true marks of believer are. We, we must have true demonstrations of love. A, a Christian who has experienced firsthand the, the sacrificial love of Christ uh, that has resulted in personal salvation is going to love others who have experienced the same thing. We cannot help but look at one another and see the love of Christ reflected in the salvation that, that is in others' lives. And for that reason, we must love one another. The shared love of Christ will, will naturally draw us together in love for each other. At the same time, John is also an apostle that is very concerned with truth. 
Five times in the first four verses of this little letter, John uses the word truth. If you read through, look at verse 1 through 4 again, five times you have the word truth. There, there's a heavy, heavy emphasis on the matter of truth in those first verses. John, John loves this woman and her children in truth. He talks about all who know the truth also love her and, and her children. They do so for the sake of truth. Jesus is the, the son of the father in truth and love. John is glad that the lady's children are walking in truth. Truth is, is core to his thoughts. But we should see that, that truth is also tightly coupled with love. They, they're, they're never separated from each other in God, and they should never be separated from each other in God's followers. Truth and love come together. And that's why in verse 5, John reminds the lady that her desire to show love to other believers is normal and expected. Is both those things. It's normal because of the love she's received from Christ. She should want to show love. And it's expected because she has received the love of Christ. It's expected that she will show love. Love was something that she's understood. Love is something that all believers should understand. It, it comes from the very beginning of their faith. In fact, the, the form of the verb that John uses in verse 5 when he says, we love one another, that, that form indicates that this is a habitual practice. It, this isn't a one-off event. You know, we, we, we love each other. We do something that's loving. We check off the box and we move on with life. No, this is our habitual practice. We love one another. John even goes on and asks the lady in verse 5 to continue loving other believers. What, what I love about verse 5, when he says, Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one that we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. I, I, what I love is that even though John is going to deal with a problem, he begins by affirming that this lady has the right instincts in what she's doing. In fact, he encourages her to continue. The, the specific word that we have translated as ask is one that's used between two equals. John is not speaking down to this dear lady. He's not giving an authoritative command. He's giving a request. He's addressing her as a precious sister in the faith. And he's asking her to, to keep on looking for opportunities to, to show love. This, this desire that she has to, to show love to others is, is a desire that he wants to carefully preserve. He's not about to, to give her a new commandment. He's simply encouraging her to continue doing what she knows is right. Continue doing what is intimately connected to the truth of the gospel. Continue showing love to others. That defining mark of a Christian. There are a couple applications that, that we should consider for ourselves from what John writes here at, at this point. First, we would all do well to observe and strive to emulate John's example. We, we need to work hard at affirming right desires when we see them in others. Often, I, I fear we find it a lot easier to attack the things that we see wrong than, than it is to affirm the things we see right. We're, we're very good at, at being critical. We, we call it a... a, a a positive trait because we we are going to assess and find out what's wrong and and we're going to be discerning and careful we find it very easy to do that but then we fail to affirm what's right we also 
find it easier to attack the things wrong than recognize that the person that we're addressing might be motivated by a proper desire. Frequently, we even go a step further, and we assume if the person's doing something wrong, they must have an impure motivation. Why else would they do something wrong? It, it, they must be trying to do something wrong. We fail to even consider that, that a proper desire could exist under wrong actions. Well, John doesn't make that mistake. He encourages the lady to continue demonstrating love for others, implicitly affirming that the actions he's about to address, they're, they're motivated by love. He, he gets that, and he affirms that, approves of, of it. I know one of my failures as a father was, was balancing encouragement with correction. There, there were many times when my children were trying to do something, but, but they were doing it wrong. And we're not talking subjective wrong. They were just doing it wrong. They were children. For example, they'd work on a math problem and make a mistake. I'd review the work and I'd point out the mistake. But what I failed to do was acknowledge the effort that they put forth in their attempt. If they kept making the mistake, I would accuse them actually of not putting forth sufficient effort because they keep making the same mistake. I was suggesting they, they, I'd suggest they weren't trying to get a good grade. Usually it wasn't until I, I saw their, their distressed look or their, their crushed spirits that I recognized that I'd failed to affirm their, their good desire to do their homework while I was correcting their mistake. Well, the same can happen in the spiritual realm. Between us and, and other believers, I, I don't think we recognize how quickly and, and how easily we can squash proper desires in others when we fail to acknowledge that their actions were motivated by the right reason. We, we need to see when people are trying to love one another, even if their efforts fail. John's letter should remind us to, to watch. How is it that we're approaching people? How are we going to address things with them? We need to think carefully about what we say. We need to look for the good that we can affirm. So that's the first application that we can take from John. The second thing we can see here is we need to have desires that result in actions. As I was writing this sermon, I, I remembered that I intended to call a company to set up an appointment to winterize my sprinklers. It's been on my list all week. I needed to call them. I'm working on the sermon, and it, it popped back in my head. Oh, yes, I need to make a call. And I looked at the time, and it was after hours. I could no longer call. My, my desire to call had failed to result in actions. All of the one another commands in the New Testament are really just tangible expressions of love. They are love in action. They are things we are to do. We, we need to examine ourselves. We need to verify that we have the right desires within us. But we also need to make sure that our desires to show love are resulting in action. We struggle with selfishness, don't we? All of us struggle with selfishness. We, we all struggle with time crunch. We, we struggle with busyness. We, we also struggle with self-deception. Our natural instinct is to justify our lack of action, to, to convince ourselves that we are okay. What we need is to honestly examine ourselves and to ensure that, that we, yes, have right desires to show love to others, but also that we're doing something about it. In fact, the only way we know we have right desires is, is really to examine what we are doing, 
Where are we spending our time, energy, and money? What are we putting our stewardship of what God has given us into action? Because that's really revealing our desires. Just telling ourselves that we desire to love one another and then throwing that on the back shelf and doing something that pleases ourselves is not really desiring to love others. Genuine love will display itself in tangible actions. Remember our principle. Indiscriminate actions can transform attempts of love into sin. That, that principle, as we've seen, it does not excuse us from actions. We have to have action. In fact, it assumes that the love of the truth requires a love of others and that we will show that love to others. We must both desire to love others and act on that desire. We cannot separate love and truth. Indiscriminate actions can transform attempts of love into sin. Love of truth requires love of others. But as we move on in the following verses... John goes on and shows us that love of truth must rise above love of others. Love of truth must rise above love of others. We cannot separate the two, but truth must rise highest. Several times in in John's gospel, John records that Jesus as, as tying together three things, love, faith, and obedience. Jesus creates this triangle between the three in, in, and it's an inseparable triangle. We need love, we need faith, we need obedience. Well, John again connects here love and obedience. In, in verse 6 this evening, once, once again, we, we find John making a clear link between love and obedience. He's already tied love and, and, and truth together, which is really love and faith. Now it's love and obedience. He says, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. I want us to, to look at this statement carefully. Let's see what John says. In, in the following verses, John will deal with a very specific mistake that, that this lady's making, the mistake where she's allowing these false teachers to stay in her house. Yet, before he does that, he lays out this general instruction, this, this principle that, that produces the specific application. He, he focuses on this connection between love and obedience, how the two must come together. Real love will necessarily display itself by obedience to the commands of God. God has given his word. He's told us what he expects. Real love must tie those together. Real love is grounded in the truth of God's revelation. Real love is not an emotion. It's not a sentiment. It's an act of obedience to what God has instructed us to do in his word. And we'll have to think about that. Think about that for, for a moment. John, when he writes verse 6, and this is love, he does not give us an object behind that. What, what I mean by that is he doesn't say this is love for God, as God's the object of our love, or he doesn't say this is love for one another, as if one another is the object. He, he doesn't specify an object. Rather, he, he makes the statement as general as possible. This is love. Love for whom? For God? For others? The answer is yes. Love for God is obedience. Love for others is obedience. Love is obedience. Now, it's easy to understand, I, I, I think it's easy anyway, to understand how a love for God would be displayed through obedience to what God has given in his word. 
I mean, after, after all, if we're not obeying what God commands, that, that's really a, a straightforward denial of God's right to rule, isn't it? If we just say, yes, I know God said that, but, but I don't care. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, that's a straight denial of, uh, of his right to rule as well as his goodness. D- disobedient is spurning God. It, it's not loving him. It, it's in essence saying that, that we can get something better for ourselves doing what, what we want than, than following the path that God wants us to follow. So, so it's easy to see how if we disobey God's commands, that, that's unloving toward God. And that obedience then by converse is is displaying our love for God. When we do what God said, we're showing that we love him. But how about for others? How does obedience to God's commands demonstrate love toward others? Why do we have to obey God if we want to be loving toward people? This question really gets at the core of our faith. If our faith believes that, that God is in control of every situation, if God, we believe that God's in control of every circumstance in which we find uh, ourselves, this, this is that doctrine of providence that, that Cheryl Beer keeps talking about so much every time she gets a chance, is a great doctrine. If we really believe that doctrine of providence, and, and if we really believe that God's commands are sufficient to deal with every situation, well, well that's the doctrine of sovereignty, that the God is the right ruler, God has the right to speak to every situation because he's sovereign. If, so if we believe in providence, if we believe in sovereignty, and if we really believe that, that God always acts in the best way possible, that, that's the doctrines of love and wisdom, then obedience is the only way that we can love others. If we really believe God is who he says he is, we really believe the, the, the characteristics of God then obedience to him is the only way that we can love others. If there were another way in which we could show genuine love to others apart from God's commandments, then God would not be God because he failed to give us a good option. He failed to give us the option that would show genuine love. So how can he be sovereign? How can he be the God of providence? How can he be loving and wise? No, for God to be God, the only way we can show love for others is the way that he has revealed. If we could show, God, or if we could show love to others apart from God's commandments, then God would not be God. Our faith unravels, and we have no hope at all. God has told us the best way to live our lives, including living our lives in community with other Christians. We are expected to live in a community. We are expected to live with one another. And that expectation is supposed to shine forth with love for one another. And God has told us how to do that. Notice in the mid part of verse 6, John switches from we, where he includes himself in the general principle, to now you, referring to the lady and her children. The general principle that that love is shown through careful keeping of God's commands, that applies to all believers. John includes himself in that. But the lady has slipped in her application of the command. She's done the wrong thing, which is what John is about to address. She she did it with good and proper motivation. She, She wants to show love, but her actions were still wrong. The lady's problem is that she was deceived. She, she did not think through her obedience carefully enough. 
She, she did not assess the, the situation diligently enough. People showed up claiming they were Christian ministers, and she simply accepted them at face value. She, she did not examine what they believed and what they were teaching. She simply accepted them as Christians, welcomed them in their home, and supported their, I don't know what to call it, so-called ministry, their, their efforts to the church. The issue, of course, is that they were not Christians at all. They, they were false teachers. The, the fact that they call themselves Christians, that, that's irrelevant. In, in their case, their particular failure we know was that they did not accept the fundamental truth about Jesus, that he's fully God in, in fully human flesh. Not only did they not accept this core truth themselves, they, they taught this erroneous position to, when they spoke to the church. They, they claimed that Jesus was not God in the flesh. Well, their message destroys the saving power of the gospel. It really is a replacement gospel, a false gospel. It was evil through and through because it denies what people need. They really are nothing more than tools of Satan, despite the fact that they call themselves Christian. There are many antichrists working with with leading people to damnation. That's what they're accomplishing. It, it didn't matter how nice they appeared. It didn't matter what label they gave themselves. They were evil. John's goal is for the lady to understand that because she's participating in evil with them by aiding them, because she's helping them, she is actually engaging in evil herself. She was in koinonia, there's that word. She's in partnership with their evil. She is participating in evil by aiding them, even giving them a Christian greeting, accepting their use of the name Christ. That, that alone brings her into fellowship with them. By, by her actions, she is engaging in much more than simply giving lodging. She was at risk, because of her actions, of assisting them do great damage to the church. And, and through that, John, that participation, John says in verse 8, she's in danger of losing out of her full reward. Now, now this is a quick tangent, but I, I want to make sure we understand. John's not saying here that this lady might lose her salvation. Her, her salvation is fixed by her faith in Jesus Christ. We don't lose our salvation. She, like us, only has so much life to give, though. She, she, she doesn't have unlimited hours or unlimited resources. She only has a limited amount of life to spend serving Christ. She only has a limited amount of time to, to use her life to earn eternal rewards for her service. By, by squandering some of her life efforts through these evil deeds that she's participating in, she's failing to earn as many eternal rewards as she otherwise could. If she ceases such actions and if she turns back to, to using her lives to love others based on truth, that allows her to earn the full reward that she can. John's instruction to the lady is very simple. Stop. Stop doing anything that supports false teachers. It doesn't matter if they claim they're serving Christ. What matters is what they teach about Christ. Uh, I expect that the application to us is obvious. We, we, we need to examine the teaching of people who claim to be Christian. We, we need to have enough wisdom to, to recognize 
that someone presenting the, the title of Christian is, is nearly meaningless in our society, and people of all nature claim cr- to be Christian, to, to many people not nothing more than a social category or a family identifier. Well, I'm Christian because my family is Christian. We've been Christian for generations. There, there have been so many false teachers presenting false gospels for so many centuries that, that the reality of most self-professing Christians cannot state the core truth of, of the gospel. And if you cannot state the core truth of the gospel, you are not saved. Well, we cannot partner in any manner. We, we cannot fellowship in any sense with people who are teaching a truncated, confused, or erroneous gospel. It doesn't matter what they call themselves. It doesn't matter either if we're called unloving by not joining them. Our love of the truth must rise above a mindless love of others. One example of how this works at the level of the church is is a recent Christmas show that was presented downtown. I think it was at the Fox Theater, if I remember right. Is that right, Carl? Huh? Yeah, okay, it was at the Fox Theater. Uh, I, I know that several of you attended, and, and there's no problem with that, that you attended this. I, I'm sure the music was wonderful. Two times, however, people visited our church and asked me to promote and participate in this event because in their mind, this is a way that churches in Detroit could join together and reach Detroit with the gospel. Well, just a, a small amount of investigation revealed that what this group called the gospel was so truncated that it was not the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Rather, it, it was really an example of the weak, false gospel that, that cities like Detroit have heard for decades from liberal churches, and now we have a city that's filled with despair, while it's still, even today, dotted with hundreds of so-called Christian churches. There, there was no way we as a church could join in this effort without participating in evil. It didn't matter if they were calling it Christian. I just call it good music that that you can enjoy. I'm guessing that we understand this principle. I I, I don't think that's where our problem lies. I, I I believe we understand the principle. What I'm not so confident on is that we're convinced enough to live it out. Living out what John instructs here is not an easy thing to do. There, there are so many people around us that, that need the hope that the gospel alone can offer. Our lives are filled with so many physical and emotional needs. Or, and our spiritual nature, because of, of our salvation in Christ, it compels us to want to help people. We have that desire because of Christ. When, when people come along and, and say that they have a way to, to help in the name of Christ, instinctively we want to join forces with them. Now add that when they appear to be lovely, kind people, we're, we're even more drawn to, to help them fulfill their vision of helping others. Yet are we examining carefully what these lovely people are, are calling help? Are we looking at what they're, they're calling the gospel message and, and ensuring that it really is the true gospel message? If what they're promoting as Christianity do, does not match up with the truth of God's word, it's evil. Now, it's unlikely that they were letting too many people stay in our houses. In, in fact, recently, 
I had an entire sermon on hospitality being one of the characteristics of genuine love, and, and we still struggle to find a house for the Browns to stay in. I don't think hospitality being too extensive with it is our problem. We need to go the other way. We need to actually practice hospitality. Our, our problem is that we're too slow to open our homes, not that we're too quick. But we are Americans, and we like to provide help, not with our homes. We like to provide it with our checkbook. We, we send money in place of giving of ourselves. And frankly, at times, I'm shocked at some of the organizations that I hear people in our church giving money toward. I, I fear there's a real lack of discrimination when it comes to groups asking to fund their so-called Christian work. They call themselves Christian, yet the gospel they're presenting is an erroneous gospel. It's a false gospel. Sending funds is simply another way that we can participate in evil if we're indiscriminate. If the organization that, that we support is proclaiming a false gospel, it is evil. Extrapolating what John has written, send, sending money to these organizations, even though they call themselves Christian, sending money to them would join us to their evil. It would put us in koinonia with them. Yes, we are to show love to others. But our love for the truth must rise above our love for others. In fact, unless we love the truth, we cannot love others. Love of the truth must rise above love of others. Indiscriminate actions can transform attempts of love into sin. Too many times we do set out to do something and we see our efforts fall apart despite our best energy put forth. Grace had that experience when, when she tried to leave work early and lacked her car keys. We can experience that in our efforts spiritually as well. If our, our efforts to love others are not grounded in the truth. As we've seen this evening, this principle is real. It has application to us. Indiscriminate actions can transform attempts of love into sin. We don't want our attempts to love to be sin. Tonight we've considered the, the simple correction that John gives this, this unknown lady in this short letter. If you want to sum up his correction, you can sum up in two words. Stop it. It's that simple. Stop it. We, we saw, as he does it though, that first, that our love for the truth requires love of others. We, we must show love to one another. That, that's an absolute requirement. We, we have Christ in common and we must show love to other Christians Love should motivate all of our actions, and, and, and love must result in action. Without actions, there is no love. We must show love to one another. But love as a motive is not enough. And we also saw that love of the truth must rise above love of others. We must show love through obedience. Real love can only be displayed through very careful obedience to all that God has commanded in his word. We, we have to force ourselves to do the hard work. We have to determine whether our actions will join us with evil or join us to the truth of the gospel. We must be discriminating in what we do. We must because indiscriminate actions can transform attempts of love into sin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this short letter that you've given us through the Apostle John a letter of warning, a letter of caution, a letter also of encouragement.
Father, you have placed us into a community of faith, a community that is to love one another, and it, this letter encourages us to act on, on our community, act within our community to show love to each other. And yet there's also a warning because our actions, despite our intent, can go astray if we are not carefully tying our actions to your truth as well. So I pray that you would give us wisdom, the wisdom of discernment today, so that we would be men and women that act in ways that are wise as we show love to others. Because, Father, our great desire is to magnify our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.